John 5 is where we will be turning here this afternoon. I want to read for us verses 30 through 47, though our key text today is going to be the latter part, 39 to 47. This is the word of Almighty God. John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47, Jesus speaking says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he is born witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray together, friends. Lord, again, we bow before you. Thank you, Lord, for letting us sing your praise today. Thank you, Lord, for letting us hear and read your scripture. Thank you, Lord, for letting us gather freely. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, as we are here, may we turn our hearts to you. And God, would you do what only you can do, which is empower the work of a weak, weak vessel. God, if you don't show up and do something with this, I have nothing to bring to the table. But your word is perfect. And I pray that you'll use it to revive our souls. And I pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Who are you? If I want to get to know you, I might ask you that question, right? And assuming that you are a sane and honest person, you'll give me an answer that truthfully identifies for me who you are. Well, I think we can agree Jesus is a sane and honest person, can't we? And here in John chapter 5, Jesus is telling us just who he is. And the claim he makes is huge, the biggest claim possible. How's it happen? Early in John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Later, the religious teachers confronted Jesus because he instructed that man to carry his mat away on a Sabbath day. 
But Jesus said he has every right to give that command since God is right to continually work even on the Sabbath. And in case you missed the significance of that, Jesus just claimed to have the same rights as God, to be equal with God, to be God. Over the next several verses, Jesus made several claims that indeed proved to the religious teachers that they heard him rightly. Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh. Jesus claimed to do what God does, verse 19. To know what God knows, verse 20. To have God's power over death, verses 21, 25, 28, and 29. To have God's right to judge, verses 22 and 27. To deserve the same honor as God the Father, verse 23. That believing Jesus is believing God, verse 24. And to have life in himself as only God can, verse 26. Those are seven ways Jesus claims to be God from verses 19 to 29. It's pretty significant, don't you think? Well, if the religious teachers were to ask Jesus, just who do you think you are? His answer would have been the Son of God. That's not him claiming to be different from God, by the way. It's a claim to be of exactly the same essence, exactly the same substance as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus claims to be God. The next question that Jesus will answer after telling us just who he thinks himself to be is this. Says who? Jesus will not claim deity on his own. Though Jesus has every right to tell us who he is, Jesus is going to call on other people to testify to the truthfulness of his claim. And none of these others add truth to what Jesus has said. or They don't make his words more true. But they do bear witness to the truthfulness of what Jesus has told us. So like a man in a courtroom calling witnesses to make his case, Jesus will point to the testimonies of five witnesses that will prove to his skeptical hearers that he is God. Last week, Jesus called as witnesses John the Baptist, Jesus' own miracles, and God the Father. Now, I think you all would agree that's a pretty good lineup, wouldn't you say? Today, we're going to see Jesus give us two more witnesses, and he'll give us a very important warning. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you of the overarching point of everything I've got to say here today. John's gospel has a purpose. Jesus' words here have a purpose. If you and I are going to respond to all this stuff rightly, we will believe in Jesus. Now, for those who don't know Jesus... The call to believe in Jesus involves two things. First, it's a call that you would know and accept the truth of the facts concerning Jesus. What do I mean? You need to understand Jesus is God the Son, that Jesus lived the only perfect human life in history, that Jesus died as a sacrifice for the sins of all the people he would forgive. You need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, 
and he proved his claims about himself are true. He proved that God the Father is satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice. You need to believe Jesus is willing to forgive all who come to him in faith and repentance. That's, part of, that's what the believing part means, part of it. But the other part of believing in Jesus is changing. When a person truly believes that Jesus is their only hope, they are willing to let go of everything else in life in order to have Jesus and his forgiveness. If you believed, and it's not, just so you know, if you believed the building was on fire, if you really believed it, what would you do? No, you would not. That's against the rules. You orderly fashion walk out the door. Shame on you people. When's the last time you all had a fire drill? You don't run, but you do exit the building immediately in an orderly fashion. But you know what? If you believe yourself to be a sinner in need of Jesus' grace, you do run. You turn away from being the ruler of your own life and you run to Jesus to ask him, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. So let me again urge you, as you see in all this passage, believe in Jesus. I want you to have life and hope in Jesus. So turn away from sin, turn away from self, trust in Jesus, be saved. Now, for most of us here today, the kind of people that would come to a church service on the afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday, most of y'all have already believed in Jesus. That's very good, right? So what would the call be for you? Okay, get this. You ready? Believe in Jesus. It's still the same call for you. Believe. Keep believing Keep remembering who Jesus is. Believe in Jesus in such a way that you get a brand new, fresh amazement of Jesus in your heart. God the Son, God the Son is your Savior. God the Son came from heaven to earth to save your rotten soul. God the Son loves you, forgives you, leads you. Believe, believe, and believe again and let it lead you to joy and worship. So I've got three points now for us to work on today. That, was, that wasn't a point. That was just extra. Let's find two witnesses, one warning, and all of them call us to believe in Jesus. Point number one for today, believe the witness of the Scriptures. Believe the witness of the Scriptures. And if you're a kid writing that point down, know that you capitalize the S in Scripture when you're talking about the Bible. John 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. All right, I want to borrow... An illustration from an old seminary professor of mine. I think it's helpful here. And we need to use, we need to imagine it with my son, Owen. Owen, can we imagine with you? Is that okay? Sure. 
Thank you, Bubby. All right. So, I want you to imagine it is a typical day in the Peterson household, which means it is a pleasant day. Everyone is sort of skipping around jolly and happy because there's never a conflict. We're all smiley and clean. And I come to my son, my youngest son, and I say to him, Owen, take out the trash. Now that's a simple instruction. You all understand that instruction, right? Easy to understand. Honestly, pretty easy to follow in my house. Now I want you to imagine that Owen, in response, stands up and walks over to the little chalkboard that we have in the loft and begins to diagram that sentence. I want you to imagine he finds the subject, the verb, and the object. I want you to imagine that he looked around that sentence to other words he's heard me say, and he begins to discover the modifying prepositional phrases, infinitive clauses, gerunds, sometimes split infinitives, because I am known to do that. He finds it all. Why don't you go a little further? What if he even devoted himself so much that he memorized that sentence? What if he wrote it down on a little card and put it in his pocket? Maybe he prints it on a t-shirt with a cartoon graphic. A knockoff of some corporate logo because that's how we roll. What if Owen looked at me Tears in his young eyes, emotionally moved and said to me, Wow, Dad, that's amazing. You are so, so right. Taking out the trash is the very thing we need right now. You're so deep. Imagine Owen did all those things after I said to him, Owen, take out the trash. What has he done? What has he not done one thing is for sure whatever he has done with my instruction he has not obeyed it if he hasn't gotten up and taken out the trash <laughs> wouldn't you agree well the first point Jesus is saying that the Jewish religious teachers in front of him are doing everything they can possibly do with the scriptures except believing them and obeying them. Verse 39, Jesus points out that the Jews study. They eagerly search the scriptures. That was certainly true. In point of fact, there was probably no group of people in the world at that time who knew the Old Testament scriptures better than the men to whom Jesus was speaking. Do you realize that it is really likely that the people Jesus was talking to had all five of the first books of the Bible completely memorized? Can you imagine memorizing all of Leviticus? They did. Some of them might have had the whole thing memorized. That's how they were. These men could have told you every phrase, every command, every prediction, every rule, but they missed the very heart 
of the scriptures. They missed the God to whom the scriptures point. They knew the words backward and forward, but they were not willing to believe. And thus, in the most important point of all, they were not willing to obey God. Jesus says the very scriptures that the Jews eagerly searched point to him. He claims in that statement that the Old Testament of the Bible is designed by God to reveal Jesus. The Savior says that the Bible's more than a religious textbook. He claims that it displays the glory of Jesus. Y'all remember the day Jesus rose from the grave? I mean, not, not, you weren't there, but you remember when it happened. He had a conversation with a couple of his followers. They were walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus, by his godly power, did not let the men recognize him at first. And he listened to their conversation. He heard how sad they were about his death. Jesus knew they didn't really understand what the scriptures had promised about him. So Jesus took that opportunity that day to teach them. Get this, can you imagine this day? He taught them what the whole Bible was about. Luke chapter 24, 25 to 27 says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that means going from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Be honest with me. Would you not have loved to have been able to listen to that conversation? Imagine how glorious it was to walk that road with two disciples as the resurrected Lord Jesus explains to them how every bit of the Old Testament pointed out that he was coming, that he would die, that he would rise, that he would reign. What do you think he used? I mean, again, it's all over the place. Maybe he used some Isaiah 53, though, right? Isaiah 53 tells of Jesus as the innocent ser servant of God who would come and die to give his life for the sins of other people. But later in the same chapter, Isaiah promises that the one who dies would see the ones he saved, that he would be satisfied, that he would be glorified. So clearly in Isaiah 53, he says God is sending somebody who would die, who would be buried, and who would save the souls of people for God. But see, this is what the whole of the Old Testament's about. The Old Testament is there to get the world ready for what God was going to do through Jesus. It promises Jesus is coming. It shows us why we need him. It shows us the miracles that God performed to keep the family line of Jesus alive. I mean, you understand, don't you, that the people who were the ancestors of Jesus did everything in their power to get God to kill them. And God kept them alive. It's all about Jesus it's all about our need for Jesus in one form or another. 
In John chapter 5, Jesus said the Jews studied the scriptures, but they refused to see that the scriptures pointed to him. He said that they did not have life because they refused to come to him. He's the only one who can give them true eternal life. Now, speaking of life, there's one thing Jesus says in verse 39. I want to show it to you again. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus told the Jewish teachers, you think you've got life in the scriptures. Now, Jesus is not putting scripture down. He's not denying that the scriptures are the revelation of God to man. He knows that. But what Jesus is denying is a misconception that the teachers held to. Because many of these men thought they could earn their reward of heaven. They could earn their way to God. They could impress God because of how well they studied the scriptures and keep a few commandments. They didn't think much about applying the scriptures to their own lives. They just wanted to be the guys, well, you know, you know these guys, the guys that can always win a round of Bible trivia, but maybe it doesn't change them very much. That was the men Jesus was in front of. In Galatians 3:21 and 22, the word says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be fulfilled or might, might be but give it, given to those who believe. What's happening there? Paul says the law of God, the Old Testament scriptures, they can't save you. They can point you to saving faith in Jesus. You won't be saved if you just study and that's all you do. You can't do enough right deeds. You can't do enough good things, even good Bible study, and have that be what earns you a pass to heaven. The only way for you to be right with God is for you to see the truth about Jesus, which is in the scriptures, and then put your faith and your trust in Jesus to be the one who saves your soul. The Bible's not a religion textbook. It's not one of many little books that might be helpful to you along with the latest self-help offerings on Amazon. The Bible's God's holy word. It's inspired. It's breathed out by God. The Bible is absolutely perfect and useful, but the use of the Bible for you and for me is not empty head knowledge. And by the way, let me pause here even in the middle of my own notes and say, Reformed people, listen up. Because how many of you have known a good, solid, reformed man or woman who can spout a bunch of verses at you, but you don't see love of the Lord in anything they do? Let's not be those people. The usefulness of the Bible is in reading it and recognizing it as divine revelation and following it to faith in and obedience to Jesus. Don't think of the Bible as a study book. 
You may study it, but don't think of it as a homework book. Don't think of it as a magic charm. Don't think of it as one of many little self-help books. See the Bible for what it is. It's inspired, it's holy, it's authoritative, it's revelation of God to man that leads you to faith in Jesus. And that's the faith Jesus is calling the Jews to, and he points out why they're missing it in the next verses. We're going to call this point number two. Seek the glory of God, not the glory of men. Seek the glory of God, not the glory of men. Look at 41 to 44. I did not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 41, Jesus points out, he doesn't receive glory from men. Now, that's not Jesus saying that you and I don't glorify Jesus. It's the purpose of your life to give Jesus glory. You understand that, don't you? The reason you're breathing right now is that you might give Jesus glory. That too. But we do not make Jesus bigger by glorifying him. But think about it this way. When you go outside on a Las Vegas summer day, I'm talking about one of those 115 degree affairs. You guys know the days I'm talking about? You might say, it's hot out here. And by making that statement, you do not add to the heat of the day. All you do is acknowledge it. You point it out. You make known that which already is. That's what we do when we glorify Jesus. When we glorify Jesus, we might acknowledge who he is. We might point other people toward him. We might celebrate in his glory. But we do not add glory or weight or worth to him. Jesus is already as glorious as Jesus could ever possibly be. Your praise does not make him bigger. No man takes Jesus and makes more of Jesus than Jesus really is. No one can make him worth more. No one can make Jesus more powerful or more wonderful. Many who don't have the love of God in their hearts, they don't worry about glorifying Jesus anyway. They spend all of their lives trying to get other people to magnify them. And that's why Jesus is telling these guys, I don't receive your glory. He wants them to be clear. He's not here like them, just hoping for an attaboy from the group. Again, in the human world, politics, entertainment, how many people have you seen that all they seem to live for is, is, to, is to hope that people around them will build them up so they can get further and further ahead? Have you seen this in our world? How many of you have ever watched an awards show like the Oscars? What is the Oscars? It is an evening in which Hollywood's finest come together and pat one another on the back for movies made that nobody really wanted to see in the first place. 
The Jews, they were rejecting Jesus because he came in the name of God the Father. If he had come in his own name, if he had been, hey, one of the good old boy crowd, if he was, if he was saying, hey, I'm just here to get ahead, to get what I can, the Jews would have fallen all over themselves to be first in line to greet him and join him in his power play. They willingly accepted teachers who were self-promoters, but what they didn't want to see is somebody like Jesus who appoints to God and God alone. Jesus' largest condemnation of the Jews here comes in verse 44. He tells them, y'all don't seek the glory of God. You want the glory that comes from other men. The teachers in Jesus' own words, they were more concerned about the opinions of other people than about the, the opinion of God. They wanted the praise of people more than the affirmation of God that they were his good and faithful servants. They were corrupt, they were self-seeking, and Jesus calls them on it. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. We've been, we've been going through the Ten Commandments in our catechism for the last forever. But it's good. Did, did you guys not just love the way that taught us about the 10th commandment today? That was helpful, guys. Exodus 20, 1 through 3 says, God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Pay attention, friends. You shall have no other gods before me. God demands. This is not an ask. This is not a, if, you're, if you want to, It'd be really nice. God demands that you not have anyone or anything before him. No false gods can take God's place. And let me be honest with us. The approval of other people, having people like you, is a very dangerous false god in the lives of many a Christian today. It is so easy to compromise the troop, truth, just, just hoping somebody's going to think you're a nice guy or a sweet lady. It is so easy to ignore what's good and right in the sight of God, hoping that what you will do will be right in the eyes of others around you. It's so tempting. It's so addictive to have people around you act like you're smart or you're funny or you're just, oh, you're so nice. You're so open-minded. You're not like those other Christians that follow the Bible rigidly. And be honest, guys, we love the praise of men. But that praise, it's like a narcotic. It's, it's like a drug. We gotta be careful with it. Don't. Don't ever let yourself love it. Because as soon as you begin to love the praises of people, you'll ignore the true, soul-satisfying glory of God. Listen to me. God made you for a purpose. He has a reason for you to exist. He made you for Himself. He made you to see and savor and have joy in His glory. He made you for the purpose of giving Him praise and honor. And when you live your life focused on the glory of God, 
He will give your soul what your soul actually wants. He'll give you genuine soul satisfaction. But when you live your life for the applause, praise, accolades of others, I promise you, your life is going to be empty when it's all said and done. God has made you for himself. And he will not tolerate you attempting to replace him with something or someone else. You know what the nice thing is about God? He won't let you settle for second best. He demands that you seek the ultimate and he is that ultimate. So seek the glory of God, not some cheap imitation. Point one, we saw that the Holy Scriptures tell you that the way to seek God's glory is to come to Jesus. Now, the last point for today, we're going to see Jesus again points in the Scriptures to find one more witness to his identity that ought to get the attention of these religious teachers. So point number three, believe the witness of Moses. Believe the witness of Moses. 45 to 47 do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So here in this last portion of what we call the, the, the Son of God or the Divine Son discourse, the Sermon of Jesus... He's having a conversation with the religious teachers and Jesus takes them to the woodshed one more time. If you don't know what it means to be taken to the woodshed, by the way, ask your parents. Maybe they'll do it for you. Christ tells them Moses is going to accuse them before God, not Jesus. See, to the Jews, Moses was like the ultimate hero of the faith. Moses is the one through whom the Ten Commandments and all the Torah came to them. Moses is synonymous with the law of God that these men say that they love. Surely the Jews would think that they're faithful to Moses if they're faithful to anybody. Jesus says they're not. They're not faithful to Moses. They're actually opposing Moses because Moses' own writings predict Jesus. How did Moses' writings predict Jesus? And remind you, I'm going to give you several quotes here from things Moses wrote down. Because Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, writing of Moses. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God promised in the Garden of Eden, somebody's going to come and crush the devil. You know who that is? That's Jesus. Numbers 21, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus himself said that points to him. Jesus said that in John uh, 3, 14 and 15. Numbers 24, verse 17. 
I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break, this, break, down, the, or <clears throat> break down all the sons of Sheth. God said there's going to be a descendant of Jacob's who will rule over the nations of the world. You know who that is? That's Jesus. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear the voice of the Lord, again, the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They're right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in their... I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Moses promised that one day God was going to raise up a man, a prophet like Moses, but better than Moses, who would speak the direct word of God to the people. You know who that is? That's Jesus. Moses and all the other Old Testament writers wrote of a time when God would set right what went wrong in the world at the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Jesus is the one who sets it right. He sets it right by paying the price for the penalty of our sins. He makes it right by making us righteous in the sight of God so we can live in God's presence eternally. Jesus made it right by living perfectly under the law of God so that every command that God ever gave, Jesus can say, fulfilled, and then he applies it to your record when you come to him in faith. Jesus will ultimately set it right by returning to the earth and judging all humanity, rewarding God's children, justly punishing those who reject him. In John 5, Jesus said we should come to him to receive life. But he said if we do not believe the words of Moses and the testimony of God in the scriptures, we will not believe in Christ. So the most important thing in the world you can do is truly believe the word of God and let it lead you to true faith in Jesus. Now, as always, I want you to ask God, help me to see what is it he wants you to take home from this message. I get it, not everything's going to ring a bell for you, but maybe something here. Maybe God wants to convince you that all of the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament points to Jesus as the Son of God. Rejoice in that. Praise Jesus for being the Son of God who came to earth to pay for your sins. Perhaps God wants you to stop seeking the glory of people and instead seek God's glory. Maybe there's a way that if you'll really look deep at your life, you'll see that you seek the applause of others more than you seek the glory of God. Are you a gossip? Do you put other people down to build your own self up? Do you show off your talents to get people to praise you? Do you make self-deprecating, pitying comments to try to get people to compliment you? Do you avoid sharing the gospel so that you won't look bad in somebody's eyes? Do you compromise the principles of your faith so that people won't think you're too fanatical? 
Turn away from those things and set the soul-satisfying glory of God in their place. Or maybe God wants you to leave here today with a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Don't use it just for a study book, not for a self-help manual. Realize the Bible is God's divinely inspired revelation of himself to you. It points you to Jesus for salvation. It points you to Jesus for life. It shows you how to live to glorify God. It is a treasure worth far more than anything else you've ever owned. Finally, maybe it is that God wants you to come away from this message truly trusting in Jesus as the Son of God who takes away the sins of all who believe in him. Jesus came to set right what's gone wrong with humanity. If you'll entrust your soul to Jesus and his finished work on the cross, he'll give you eternal life. Believe in Jesus. That's what this is about. Believe in Jesus. Believe the witness of John the Baptist. Believe the witness of Jesus' miracles. Believe the witness of God the Father. Believe the witness of the scriptures. Believe the witness of Moses. Put your trust in Jesus, be saved, and seek your life's satisfaction in his glory. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, it's good to hear your word. And we are so easily sinners so easily given to evil, to seek the applause of others, to compromise. I would just ask you, Lord, would you do in our lives what we have, we don't have the power to do on our own, but only you can do through your spirit. Would you sanctify us in the truth? Your word is truth. Teach us, grow us, change us, Save the souls of those who need to be saved. And in all things, Lord, we will praise you for you are good. And we know your love endures forever. Be glorified. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.